Good morning. It's good to be with you all here again at Colonies. It's been a couple of years, and I try to get back and visit everyone after a couple of, of years to uh, give kind of an update. And in this hour, I want to talk a little bit about why we're doing what we're doing in Zambia. And uh, there we go. And uh, then in the next hour, we're going to meet in the great room, and I'm going to cover a little bit more of the what we do, more specifics and and maybe uh, have a chance to answer a few questions. Uh, if you are not getting our newsletter, I would love for you to sign up for our newsletter. There's a sign-up sheet right back here on the left side. Um, as you go out, uh, you can sign up with your email address, or you can sign up uh, with snail mail, either way. Uh, we also have our Facebook page, and especially these days, I've been trying to promote our Facebook page because I found it's just a, gr just a great place in which for us to post uh, pictures and little small updates. Uh, we have one both for the ministry in general, but also for Karen's Kids, the Orphan Ministry. There's a Facebook page specifically for that as well. And as I said, I'm going to be talking uh, uh, more in the next hour about the different uh, areas of our ministry, six areas that we really try to focus on, uh, but mostly in this hour I want to focus on uh, why we're doing uh, what we're doing, why we're doing missions this way, because this is a little bit different. Um, you have a tendency in missions for people to either focus on just the spiritual or they focus just on the humanitarian, and uh, our ministry, our approach is more of a holistic approach. And that's a lot of what I want to uh, get into and talk about. So to understand why we're doing this, I want to go back and, and talk about the mission of God. One of the things that you see in the Old Testament, especially in the Torah, the, uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the uh, Old Testament, is that you see this word uh, blessing or to bless appearing again and again and again. Uh, it's a motif that's running through the uh, Pentateuch, uh, if not, in fact, the whole Bible. And maybe we don't appreciate uh, this word blessing. We live in such affluence today. But this idea of blessing or giving a blessing or even in marriage, you know, giving the blessing for a marriage or giving the blessing for a child is something that antiquity uh, was very, very important to people. And this is, it stands out very prominently in the Old Testament that uh, this idea of to bless or the blessing. In fact, you see the patriarchs, uh, they're laying their hands on their children and giving the blessing. Uh, you see this in the blessing uh, in the Exodus that God is going to bless Israel with land and He's going to bless them with prosperity. He's going to bless uh, Abraham. Uh, you also then come into Deuteronomy, which really clearly sets forth that God is going to bless them with this land, and if they live according to God's way in the land, they'll be blessed, it'll go well for them, they'll live long and prosper, but if they don't obey God, things are not going to go well for them, their blessings will not flow. And then when you turn to the prophets, one of the things you see that's the, the basic message of the prophets is they're trying to explain why is God not blessing Israel? We're, uh, the enemies are destroying us and we're living in poverty and we're going hungry and these bad things are happening to us. Where is Yahweh? Where is our God? And the prophets are really answering and saying, well, you've been going to idols and you're the injustice in the land and you're not living according to God's way and that's why God told you if you don't live according to His way, you will not receive the blessing. And the prophets are really answering that question, 
Why is God not blessing them? So this is a very important word that you see uh, in the Old Testament, a very important motif. Well, as you turn to the creation story in Genesis, as the Pentateuch opens up, the very first chapter with the creation story, you have to understand the creation story against the background of the times in which it was written to the people. You have to understand Genesis wasn't written to deal with evolution. That was not even thunk of back then. Nobody thought that way. Um, but there were other issues that they were addressing. And one of the things that you see in the creation story that really stands out is this idea that God, who is the source of all blessings, intently wants to bless mankind. You have to understand that against the backdrop that the ancients considered the gods to be malicious. They're evil. Uh, they don't care about us. We're just their slaves to do their hard work here on earth. That when bad things are happening to us, and they all, all, all the time in antiquity, when bad things are happening, it's because the gods are angry at us. And we need to figure out why and sacrifice to them and appease them so that they will do good for us and take away the curses. The gods are evil. But Genesis, against that backdrop, comes out and tells us something that is radical that nobody said in the ancient times, and that is that the Creator is not malicious, but benevolent. That He's a God who loves humans. In fact, in the creation story, the way it's told, it's very clear that God has left no stone unturned in His desire in order to bless mankind. That this is a God who intently wants to bless humanity. He's like a father. And he cares about the human beings that he has created on this earth. And then, of course, he puts man into this Garden of Eden, which is a God's shalom, God's rest, God's peace. There man is in a blessed state, happiness if you will. He is whole. And he is living in a blessed state in relationship to a God who loves him. And he walks and talks with God in the garden. But unfortunately, we have to turn to Genesis 3, and it's all destroyed. We're broken. The world is broken. And now bad things happen. And we are struggling in order to survive. It has all gone south. Well, as you begin to read through Genesis, you see that the only thing we really hear from God is that man is sin, and man deserves to be punished. Death. And so we even come to the flood and God destroys humanity and starts over with a new Adam named Noah. And yet man still messes up. And, and, and so in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, really all you hear is judgment. Man has sinned, he deserves to die, and that's the punishment. But when we turn to Genesis 12, there's, a, there's something different you hear from God. It's sort of like my kids. Sometimes my kids behave in such a way, I want to say, look, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. You ever felt that way? Well, I get over that pretty quick because I love my kids. And you know, and I kind of see that with God. He's a father of humanity. And I mean, he's like, you, you have disobeyed. You just keep doing this and, you know, I can wipe you out. But there's a change of heart in this God who in Genesis 12 comes to a man named Abram. And I want to tell you, there's nothing special about Abram. You know, when we're introduced to Noah and Enoch that says they walked with God, that's not what it says about Abram. It, when we're introduced to Abram, all it says is he's a man who has a wife who can't have children. 
In fact, I will tell you, I believe that Abram was a, a, a pagan idolater worship. I don't believe he was. He's not the man in Genesis 22 sacrifices his son Isaac. He's not a great man of faith. I wish I could tell you that story, but he flubs up a lot in the beginning. The only thing that stands out about Abraham is that God chooses him. And this is one of the things you begin to understand, that to be chosen by God doesn't mean you're chosen because there's something special about you, other than God loves all human beings, but, but rather God chooses us, it's to be chosen for a purpose. To be chosen is to be chosen for a purpose. And so God comes to Abram and he says, I am going to bless you, not because Abraham's just a great guy at that point. He says, I'm going to bless you so that, now there's the key word, here's purpose. I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. Now, what does that mean? Well, he goes on, I will bless those who bless you, I'll curse him who curses you, and through you, all families of the earth will be blessed. I am going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the rest of humanity. Now, there's two things I want you to note from this text, and this gets to the mission of God. Because it's from this passage that I understand the mission of God. Two things particularly that's said in this passage is, one, God wants to restore the blessing to humanity. Do you see that? I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing and you will bless humanity. God wants to bless man. He wants to make man whole again. He wants to restore the blessing, restore humanity. And secondly is the fact that how God is going to do it. He's going to do it in partnership with humanity. You know, I've come to realize Something about human nature that if you just give it to us, we don't appreciate it. The only way that people really come to value something is if they have to sacrifice or pay for it. You know, that's why we even get uh, glasses. Now, we could give these glasses away, but we charge them a dollar for a pair of eyeglasses. We don't just give Bibles away. We actually will charge people for a Bible. You know why? If you give it to them, they don't take care of it. The only way people value something is if they have to give something of themselves or from themselves for something. And God says, look, I could just save man. I did that already. I started man off. I blessed him. I started off with Noah again, reset button. Man doesn't appreciate this. Man has got to be part of his own salvation. Man has got to be part of his own solution. So God is going to work through humanity to help save humanity. And so that is two very important principles. Now let me illustrate it this way. God says, Abram, I'm going to bless you, and then you are going to be a blessing uh, to others. And of course, the seed of Abraham becomes Israel, which then becomes Jesus Christ. Through Christ, who is a human being, God is going to redeem humanity. Through Christ and His body, His church. You see, the mission of God means that God's people have a very very critical role in the salvation in the restoration of humanity god wants to work through his people to redeem humanity and i don't know why god is doing that because i sometimes look around at the church and i think man he is <laughs> this is not a good strategy because the church doesn't do a lot sometimes it seems right i mean i'm sometimes frustrated with the church we're we're not out there using our blessings and making a difference in the world sometimes we're just too much into our own self and navel gazing but this is the plan of god he's going to bless us and through us he wants to change and redeem humanity god blesses us that we might bless others that is god's plan 
for restoring and redeeming humanity. So if I understand the mission of God, the mission of God is that God wants to bless mankind again. He wants to restore the blessing. He wants to redeem humanity. And the ministry that we have developed in Zambia is basically set up in an effort to try to say, how can we, what I understand about the mission of God, how can we best go about bringing about the restoration of the people of Zambia, where we're located? And so I'm going to talk more about this in the next uh, uh, our, uh, these three principles are kind of foundational principles for our ministry. Everything we do is based on these three foundational principles. I don't have time in this hour to talk about make disciples. In fact, I have a whole other sermon I do just on no, number one, but I had to choose that one or this sermon, so I'm going to talk about the second two. All right? Now, I want you to notice that the second two about a holistic ministry and about empowering people is based on, very clearly out of Genesis 12, that we are trying to bring about the restoration of people, and I believe that means body and spirit. It's got to be holistic restoration, re holistic redemption. And also the fact that people have got to be part of their own salvation. They've got to be part of it. So you work through... Zambians to empower them to make a difference in their own country. It's not for us Americans to go there and just give it to them and do it for them. I have a thing I don't do for people what they can do for themselves. I try to empower them to do for themselves. Because if you just do it for them, you give it to them, it doesn't change. It doesn't make a difference. They, just, they don't value it. it they got to be part of the process. And so let me talk about this a little more clear in more detail. I'm going to spend most of my time talking about holistic ministry. One of the things I noticed in looking at sin in Genesis 3 is two of the consequences of sin is that it's very clear when man sins, he's going to die. The penalty of sinning is death. Now that is both physically and spiritual. Man died spiritually immediately. His relationship with God was destroyed. He's sent out of the garden. He's separated from man. He dies spiritually immediately. But then man begins to age and grow old and die, and we all die. That was also the curse of sin. Well, just as in the same way as the curse of sin brought about death, body and spirit death, I also believe that salvation reverses the curse of sin. And therefore, I come to the conclusion that salvation is also about redeeming body and spirit. Sin affected us holistically. Now, there's a little bit of a problem in Western culture, and I don't have time to get into it, but it goes back to our Greek background. The Greeks divide, the body, uh, divide human nature into body and spirit, and that's where we really get that is from our Greek origins. But let me tell you what, in the East and in Africa and in biblical times, biblical culture, they were not dualistic like that in their thinking. They're more holistic. They wouldn't have divided body and spirit as we think of that. So I've come to understand that salvation is not just spiritual and it's not just physical. And I see in missions a, a real problem because I see people doing just the spiritual, which is what I used to do 30 years ago. And then I see those who are just doing humanitarian and they're Christian people who are doing this, but they're doing it secularly. I mean, uh, you know, U.S. government could be, U.S. aid could be doing what they're doing. There's nothing spiritual about it. And I've come to realize you've got to marry these two and they've got to be a holistic approach. 
And it really began to dawn on me when I was working in Africa, and I started thinking about the problem of stealing. And I thought, you know, there's, there's nothing that probably missionaries have preached on more in Africa than stealing. I mean, the first missionary who got off the boat in Africa 200 years ago and turned his back and his suitcase disappeared, the next, uh, next morning at church, what do you think his sermon was? Stop stealing. <laughs> and we've been preaching on that sin more than anything else in Africa for 200 years. But I'm going to tell you what, it hadn't changed nothing. In fact, it's worse. I can't leave my hammer in my yard. It won't be there anymore. I can't leave a two-by-four. I can't leave anything, and I'm on a Christian campus. Now, in Zambia, 85% of the people say they're Christian. Well, I tell my students, I say, 85% of Zambians are Christian. Hmm, that other 15% is stealing us blind. we got to do something about those guys. Well, they laugh because you see the problem. The other thing we've preached on more than anything else is sexual sin. And, well, in Zambia, one in four people have HIV because of promiscuity. So we're not getting anywhere here. In fact, look at Africa. Look at all the war. Look at all. Christianity, is it making any difference there? Why not? And then I said, what is it going to take to get people to stop stealing? To pick that as an example. And I got to thinking about it. Well, I don't understand what it is to live like an African, a Zambian. They're living at survival level. That means, that means half their kids die before they're 18. Do you know what that feels like? If your kid gets sick, I see it all the time. The kid gets sick, and they don't have money to buy the medicine, cheap medicine that would keep them alive, and they die. They can't take them to the clinic, even afford the transportation to get them to the clinic. Half your kids die. Your kids don't get to go to school past sixth grade because you don't have any money. And there's times when a drought hits, you go hungry. In fact, you go hungry at times of the year every year. And you see your kids, and you're all malnourished. In fact, Zambia is the most malnourished country in all of Africa. Do I know what it's like to live at survival level? I mean, that's a dog-eat-dog -dog mentality. Do you understand that? This is dog-eat-dog. -dog. I see them stabbing each other in the back. Nobody can trust anyone there, I'm telling you. They stab each other in the back. Friends, there's really no friends there. It's very utilitarian. You don't throw a piece of meat in front of some hungry dogs and they go, oh, I'm sorry, you were ahead of me. Go ahead. I'll wait. No, dogs are... Rah, 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 rah. And that's the world they're living in. And then I got to thinking about it. Here I am driving up in my air-conditioned SUV, and I get out, and obviously I haven't missed a meal. And I get out and I say, you people need to stop stealing or you're going to go to hell. <laughs> you know, he just cares. He just don't want us to steal his stuff. You know, all I'm doing is, all I'm doing is condemning these people. I'm not helping them. I'm just condemning them. And I don't think that's a very nice thing to do. You see, the problem is not just spiritual. The problem also is rooted in the flesh, in their life, in their culture. And I've got to understand that if I want to help people to be like Jesus, I've also got to deal with their life, the way they live, and the hab habits. Let me illustrate it this way. If you want to help a person who's an alcoholic in this country or into drugs or a lot of other things like that, addiction, things... You know, it doesn't do any good for you to get up and say, uh, like I think we have done a lot of times in the past, and say, the Bible says, do, you know, condemns drunkenness, so stop drinking or you're going to go to hell. Well, that doesn't really help a lot of people. If you want to help a guy get over his alcoholism, you're going to have to spend some time with that guy. 
You can't just preach at him. You're going to have to be there on Saturday night and sit down and watch the football game if he, when he calls you up and he's wanting to drink. And when he falls off the wagon, and he will, you've got to rush there and you can do it. Let's start again. You've got to work with him. You've got to be in, get involved in their life. You're going to have to work with them over time. If you want to help someone to get out of poverty, I've started to understand this. It's not just a simple solution. It's about giving them money or giving them a handout or even teaching, giving them an education or degree. It's much more involved in that. You've got to get involved in that life better when they're younger than when they're older. It's hard to change an old dog. So you work with a person over time to redeem them, to teach them a new way, a, a different way of being. I don't think it's a nice thing for us just to get up and condemn people without in get, getting in their life and helping them with their problem. And if you're going to get in their life and help them, you're dealing with the physical, not just the spiritual problem, because sin is rooted in the flesh. It's rooted in our life. And so I began to realize that if I want to help Zambians, that's when we started getting into agriculture. If I can teach them, they have time and they have land, and if I can teach them to grow food, and they can grow enough food and start eating, and they can sell some of it to their neighbors, and they can grow food year-round with the drip irrigation and I'll talk about in the next hour, then that person's got enough to eat, and they get healthier, and they have a little money to buy medicine and send their kids to school. Now that guy can say, you're not living at survival level. Now stop stealing. But until I get them out of that survival level, God didn't intend us to live at survival level, but until I address the whole of their life, I cannot just preach at them. That's not a very nice thing to do. And also, have we forgot about 1 Corinthians 15 that talks about how that the resurrection is going to be a bodily resurrection. You see, when we're baptized, we are born again spiritually. But you know, people still struggle with sin in their flesh. A person who's an alcoholic becomes a Christian doesn't get over his addiction like that. That's not going to happen until the resurrection and we have a renewed body. What is the last enemy that's going to be destroyed? Death. You see, the redemption, we redeem spiritually, but not physically. That's not going to happen until the resurrection and we are raised with a body. You know, we are not spirit beings. God is spirit. We are beings with bodies. We always have. We always will be. The resurrection, we will have bodies. Incorruptible. I can't get my mind around that. But it is a body of some sort. So let's don't ignore the spiritual, the physical, the body of people and their lives. Things are not just about spiritual things. It is, also, it is both body and spirit. And you don't just minister to the body and ignore the spirit because that doesn't fix anything. It's got to be both. And of course, Jesus in his preaching was very clear. And I, I gotta, I'm running, starting to run out of time, so I'm going to have to rush here. But when you look at Jesus' <clears throat> ministry, in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, he, he preaches about the kingdom. And then he goes out and he does kingdom work. Now, one of the things you notice about this section in Matthew is this. There's two verses that are at the beginning and the end of this section, and they're like bookends, and they say exactly the same thing. Jesus went out, and he was teaching, and he was healing people. Jesus' ministry was holistic. He responded to whatever people's needs. He was, it was spiritual. It was physical. He addressed life, all of life, holistically. And then in the next chapter, chapter 10, he calls his disciples and sends them out on the limited commission. And what does he tell them? To go do what he's been doing. 
So if nothing else, we ought to just do what Jesus did. His ministry was holistic, and I believe ours needs to be as well. And that is why our ministry is holistic. It, we deal with the spiritual side, but also we deal with the physical aspect of life. Now, my time is almost gone. Let me hit this real quick. Just simply, and I'll talk a little more about this one in the next hour, but our training is about trying to empower our students. We deal with their spirit. Our students are with us for three years now. We're helping them to become what they ought to be spiritually, spiritual formation stuff and discipleship. But we're also teaching them how to grow their own food so that when they go home, they can teach others how to grow food. We, we work on their marriages. We teach them about nutrition and health care and education. We're helping our students to uh, develop while they're with us for three years. And the reason is, is so that they can go out and they will be a blessing to the people in their communities. I am not going out into the bush to do this work. I am developing Zambians to go out to do this. They're the change agents. Because I found that Africans really just dismiss me. I'm a white man. I can do anything in their minds. I have found that if you bring about change in Africa, it has to be Africans doing it. Africans showing their own people. So I try to do that in a, in a few and then they go out, and they're the ones to make the difference. It's God blesses us that we bless others. And so I'm trying to empower our students so they can go out and be a blessing to the people in their villages when they go home. So we're trying to empower our students to go out and to, make, to do holistic missions and to be a blessing to their villages both spiritually and physically. And I'll talk about that in the next hour, exactly how we're doing that. Let me close, because I'm almost out of time, by just illustrating this. You see, it's about restoring people, redeeming people for useful service for God, for His glory. Maybe you've known guys that have gone out and they've bought an old car. Piece of junk. I mean, look at this mess. I, I don't know, it's hopeless to me. But there are guys that are just crazy enough to see something there. And they take that thing and they buy it and they bring it back and put it in their garage and their wife rolls their eyes. What have you put in my garage? Ten years this guy works on it. He buys original parts. He buys it, you know, works and labors to restore this vehicle over a ten-year period. And finally he buys tires and he gets tags. And then one beautiful spring afternoon we see him driving around in this classic. And everybody goes, whoa, look at that. Heads turn as he drives down the road driving that classic Mustang, right? He has taken a piece of junk and he has redeemed it for useful service for what it was created for, made for. That's what the kingdom of God is about. It's taking broken lives and restoring them back to wholeness. And I'll illustrate this. There's lots of illustrations that I could give you in Africa. Here is a woman named Stella. Her husband had got AIDS from sleeping around. He died of AIDS, but he gave it to her before he died. Nice of him to do that. He died. All the property belongs to men, so his family came and took everything, left her homeless. Her kids got taken to distant relatives. She ended up in a grain bin just begging for food. Bad situation, and this happens every day. She ran into Lori one day, and she said, Mom, I'm hungry. You see how anemic she was? And by the way, if you're anemic in Africa and you have HIV, it's quickly going to become AIDS, and you'll die within three, four, or five years. Happens all the time. But she ran into Lori one day and said, Mom, I'm hungry. Do you have something for me to eat? 
Well, we don't give handouts. <laughs> but Lori did say, I got a job for you. We were chucking corn, so we gave her a job chucking corn. She couldn't work but half a day, but Lori started feeding her and getting her healthier, and then she worked, full, she worked all day long. And then we saw, you know, she's a pretty sharp person, so we gave her a job. And then we gave her another job, and then another job. And then a few years ago, uh, she was baptized into Christ, of course, along the way. And then we went and said, you know, she's honest. She's a hard worker. She's very intelligent. And we said, I, we can train her to be our financial officer. I'd already gone through five guys, men and women, who were either dishonest or incompetent or both, most of them both, and fired them. And so we trained her. No credentials, no education. We just trained her. She's been doing this job, what, six years now? And I get a finance report from her every, wherever I'm in the world. It comes every month, and it's zero off. I mean, she's doing a tremendous job. And we, we really run a tight ship with money because that's what people steal money all the time. Boy, I tell you what, you better bring your receipts back to Stellar. She'll come after you with her broom. She's a tight ship she runs over there. What a godsend. Now, you see where she started off? I'm telling you, folks, she'd be dead long before now. But you take broken people, broken lives, and you work to bring them to wholeness in Christ. That's what the kingdom of God is, whether you're in Africa or you're right here in Amarillo. And you all are involved in that same process. Everybody that you know, you need to be thinking of how you can work in their life to help them to bring wholeness into their life. That's what God's people do. That's kingdom work. I'm out of time. Let me offer the invitation. If you're here and you need to respond, let me encourage you to do that. If you need to be baptized, you need your prayers to the congregation, will you do that right now as we stand and say? He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every Christ is